we're going to look right at Psalm 116 and pray that the Lord will help us learn from it. And what can we learn from Psalm 116? Well, first, we need to understand that Psalm 116 is a personal psalm of praise. Why? For God's deliverance from death. And, and it also expresses the psalmist's thanksgiving for God's gracious intervention. God is a God who intervenes. Uh, we are in a state spiritually where we need help uh, before Christ and he intervened. That's Ephesians 2 and 4. But even as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he continues to intervene in this process of sanctification. And he also intervenes when he so wills that he would rescue us from the difficulties or heartaches of life. Now, this psalm is a part of what is called the Egyptian Hallel songs. And that would be Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And Psalm 113 and 14 would have been sung before the Passover meal. And then in Psalm 115, to 118 would have been sung after the Passover meal. And why Egyptian Hallel songs? Because obviously it's connected to the Passover, the deliverance. It was a time for the people of God to remember how God had delivered them from their greatest foe, at least at that time, the great Egyptian empire. And what is interesting about it, when we think about this song uh, being sung before or after, that most likely... Um, at least this song would have been sung after the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples at the upper room are then going to the Garden of Gethsemane. We see in Matthew 26 and 30, and it says that after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, there's this place of Christ's emotional suffering, if you will, as he is agonizing over this reality that he would give his life as a ransom for many. This Psalm um, 116 is actually a complement to 115, because in 115, that is a congregational psalm of thanksgiving for God's help in time of need. And it complements Psalm 115 because 116 is in personal and individual. So the two complement one another. 115, let us give thanks to the Lord because he is a God in a time of need. And 116 is saying, let me give thanks to the Lord for he is a God who helps in time of need. So I believe this text this morning is going to help us understand that our God is one that must be praised individually for his gracious works in our lives. Now, we have gathered here um, corporately to worship the Lord in our fellowship group, and you'll go to the main service and you'll do the same, but obviously, individually, you participate in that worship. Even the words that say, for instance, Greg was speaking and, and bringing us to the book of Revelations, as he spoke individually, uh, and knowing him, that's also coming from his heart as a person, as someone that's engaged with the Lord. And so we must be a people who individually worship the Lord. And then when we come together, there's this great dynamic that we corporately worship our great and awesome God. Do you agree with that? Isn't it great to participate in that? That I can worship the living God. And we should appreciate that and not let it... um, Die out. 
Not let it be inconsistent. Never let it be dispassionate and be indifferent. You had this past week 4,500 or so men from around the world that come here to hear the word of God preach, and we've heard some of them even give a brief testimony. Um, uh, Brothers from um, Ireland that spoke about the encouragement that they received. In one sense, what happened, this is in part what is happening in Psalm 116, as we will see later on, that the psalmist writes and he says he will offer this personal worship in the midst of the congregation. So when they gave their testimony, they were saying to all of us individually, God is a great God. He is a gracious God. I was so encouraged in my spirit by his word. So individual praise in the midst of the congregation. 115, all the people praising together. 116 is an individual praising God before the people. So this is important that you understand that. That your individual praise is important to the corporate worship of the living God. And so this is what we see happening in this psalm. And in this psalm, I see another reason for us to love the Lord. And the psalm starts off, obviously, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. We are to be lovers of God. When we think about this text, that's what God has called us to be, to be a lover of God. I ask you a question. What is the greatest commandment? You shall do what? God, with all your and all your... That's right, if we look at the other texts, right? Either it's a trifecta or a quad, right? So what is it telling us? Give our all to the Lord. And so this psalm reminds us that we are to be lovers of God. That is our ultimate calling in life, that we are to give our heart and our effort and our soul even to the living God. And so 116 gives us yet another reason to love God. Why should we love God even as we look here in Psalm 116? Because of his gracious works of provision, his guidance in life, his deliverance from the enemies of, of one's soul. And so in 116, we see the psalmist call upon his soul to worship the Lord. And this God has displayed his follow the psalmist's example and respond with hearts for God who has loved us. A God who is faithful to his own. A God that is faithful to you in ways that are, and I'll say it this way, in ways that are unimaginable. I mean, think for a moment. Even as we heard the reading from Revelation, what what a grand picture that is. And as I was listening to it, I was standing back thinking and picturing it. And what a wonderful demonstration of God's greatness that we'll see. And we can't even get our hands around that. And he has been faithful to you in ways that are unimaginable because at times they were not discernible. That is, God has been faithful in ways and you would say, well, I can recognize that time when he was faithful. And I recognize that time when he was faithful. And I recognize that time that he was faithful. But I think we all know there are times when God has been faithful because he cannot help but be faithful and we didn't even know it. Amen. (laughs) He was on our side and we didn't even realize it. He was guiding us and we didn't know it because God is a faithful God and he cannot help but be faithful. It is his person. So I hope that you desire what the psalmist desires and that you would be a lover of God. 
you would be a worshiper of God. You would be one that trusts the Lord, that you would develop a, a biblical affection for the Lord, and you would have a life of worship individually, and then you participate in the corporate worship of this great God. So I have a proposition for you, and it's this. In Psalm 116, we're going to take note of three components, three components of an affectionate relationship with the Lord that we should all desire and we most definitely need. See, in this psalm, what does the writer do? The writer provides the reason for an intimate walk with the Lord and worship in the congregation. We want to identify these three components. And uh, the psalm, uh, there are several ways that one could divide the psalm, and I've chosen to take this division. And let me just give you the outline right now, and it is this. Number one, love God as you consider the psalmist's prayer. We'll notice that in verses one to four. Love God as you consider the psalmist praise, verses 5 through 11, and then love God as you consider the psalmist promise. And we'll notice that in verses 12 to 19. And yes, 19 verses, and, but we're going to walk through them today because I, I think it's another example here of we need to finish the message so you can get this great thought, the uh, flow of thought through this psalm this morning. And why do I say love God as you consider? Because what I'm proposing is that as we look through this text and see the example of the psalm and you consider it, even now, I hope that your heart is stimulated to love him more. And most definitely as you would leave here and you go and you reflect on these principles that are in God's word, that you would say that I want to love the Lord more. I'm convinced that uh, I would hope that Everyone here wants to be a lover of God. And I know that everyone here that is a lover of God would realize that you don't love him as much as you. Yes, right. Oh, my, if we could love him the way that we would hope to. Maybe if we could love him the way that we dream. And maybe if we could love him the way that we teach even. And if I, I, at times I say, if I could love him the way that I teach others to love him, Oh, my. First consideration, love God by considering the psalmist's prayer, verses 1 through 4. So the first consideration under this is there is a personal nature of affection. There is a personal nature of affection. And notice what he says, simply, I, we stop right there. I, that's the personal nature of this affection. Now, I've already brought to your attention that Psalm 115 is a congregational psalm. But I'm afraid that um, too many people gather with the people of God and don't participate because they're not nurturing their personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, there are moments in life, we know that they can, there can be dark moments in life, difficult moments in life. But nonetheless, what must stimulate in our souls, even as the psalmist said in 103, which we'll pay attention to a bit later on, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless the Lord, O my soul. And bless his what? His holy name. 
It, it comes from inside of us because we have, we've considered these things, we've thought about them, we've meditated on them, and we see how great God is, and we desire it. One of the greatest things that I love when I hear my alarm go off in the morning is I reach over and it's about, I forget how many feet away. My wife is always, always telling me, put it further away from your head. All the things that are, tra- it's too late. It's, the damage is done at this point. And it goes off pretty early. It's dark out. And I don't say it just for the sake of an illustration. It wasn't even intended to say it. But one of the things that I say in the morning, oh, I get to speak with God. Wow. I mean, I can talk to the living God. I can pause and I can sit and I say, I love you, Lord. You've been faithful to me. And I can pray for my wife and kids and I can pray for you. And I can pray for this place and I can pray for others and I can pray for my own soul. I mean, what a treasure to wake up in the morning and say, oh, okay, I've had enough rest. Let me worship the living God. And this is what's unfortunate today is that sometimes people don't have that sense because they are not taught a high view of God. And if you're taught a high view of God, there's a sense of anticipation. But if God is, or don't really look forward to it as much. If it's just another man, if he's simply another God, then that doesn't stimulate my soul as much. But if I recognize him as the God that the psalmist recognizes, I say to my soul, what a privilege. It's personal. It is personal. This is where the psalmist begins. I love the Lord. For children, their their parents, you, you cannot be a worshiper for your children. And children, you cannot be, you must worship alone. And the pastor cannot be a worshiper for you. And the instructor cannot be a worshiper for you. And your spouse cannot be a worshiper for you. You must individually be engaged in thanksgiving and praise to our great God. He is crying out, I, because he is the one that's been delivered and he is the one that's faced the difficulty. And he says, I love you because you hear me. Turn with me to Psalm 18 we see a similar thought there and it's amplified all the more about this sense of God delivering him in Psalm 18. It comes out all the more. Notice what he says, a Psalm of David and the Psalm, the inscription states when God had done what? Delivered David from all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And notice what he says in verse 1. I love you, Lord, O my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Notice what he says in verse 3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be what? Praise. And I shall be saved from my enemies. And notice all that God does for him through this psalm. And let's just highlight some of the words. Notice verse 6. He says, he heard the voice, my voice out of his temple. Notice verse 9. He bowed the heavens also and came down. Notice verse 10. He sped upon the wings of the wind. That is, God came to my aid in time of need. Notice verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. That is, he made this declaration that I am on your side. 
Verse 14, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. Verse 16, he sent. Then he says he took and he drew. Verse 17, he delivered me. Verse 19, he brought me forth. Verse 19, he rescued me. Notice verse 20, the Lord has rewarded me. Notice verse 24, the Lord has recompensed me. And then in verse 25, the language changes somewhat, but it's still God that is the one that is acting. It says, you show yourself kind to the kind. You show yourself blameless to the blameless. You show yourself pure to the pure. But also, he says, you show yourself astute to the astute or to the crooked, he says. Notice verse 27. He says, for you save an afflicted people, for you light my lamp, you illumine my darkness. Verse 30, he is a shield. Verse 32, he girds me. He makes my way blameless. Verse 33, he makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on high places. That is, in these places where there is a potential for me to fall, you give me the ability to navigate. You train my hands to war. And it goes on and on and on throughout the psalm. I'd encourage you just to go and look for those ideas where God is intervening on the behalf of the psalmist. So it's personal. Here's a second support for that thought. The personal virtue of affection. The personal virtue of affection. He simply says, go back to Psalm 116, so it's obviously personal I. It is not we. He says, I love the Lord. So simply put, love. This is the virtue of this affection. It's love. It's a reciprocation of God's love towards him. It's 1 John 4.19 here in the psalm, if you will. And 1 John 4.19 tells us what? It's not that he first what? Or that we first loved him, but he did what? He first loved us. Isn't that true for us all? It obviously is. We had no capacity to love God before he intervened in our life. It was just the opposite. We were haters of God, enemies of God, helpless before God, and ungodly. He first loved us. And now we reciprocate. So he says, I love the Lord, but then consider this, the the personal object of affection. He says, I love the Lord, Yahweh. And here... Yahweh, because it's appropriate in this context that he refer to God in his covenant name. In the context of this festive worship, they would remind themselves and he would remind himself that God is a faithful God who keeps his covenant. I love you, Lord, because you're a covenant-keeping God. And you deliver me. You help me. You come to my aid. But there's also this. We'll call it the personal reason for affection. The personal reason for affection. He says, because. And this is in one sense the heartbeat of it here. Lord, I love you because. Why? You hear me. Notice what he says. Because he hears my voice and my supplication. And then he says in verse 2, because he has inclined his ear to me. Um. At times, the psalmist would pray against his enemies because his enemies are uh, seeking to thwart God's plan in his life and even seeking to take his life, and he would pray against them. An example of that might be Psalm 35, verses 1 through 8. But here, he focuses on this idea 
that he loves the Lord because the Lord hears his prayer. God is faithful in answering his prayers in the past. Therefore, what is the psalmist saying? He has resolved to maintain a lifetime of dependence on the Lord and his graciousness. Note this commitment throughout. Um, He says here, therefore, I will call upon the Lord. Notice also in verse four, then I called upon the Lord. It comes up again. Notice in verse 13, and I called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 17, and call upon the name of the Lord. And what he's saying, God, because you hear, I call. When there are threats, I call. Because you faithfully provide, I call. When I offer thanks, I call to you because you hear me. This is a, just a great consideration. Pause for a moment and think that the Lord of the universe, the scripture tells us plainly, that we should ask, seek, and what's the third? Knock. And a part we don't have because we, James would tell us, we, we ask with wrong motives. And sometimes we don't have because we simply don't ask. We don't ask the Lord. What, what a fascinating consideration that the God of the universe in this room, for those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we were to stop right this moment and we were to say, Lord, hear my prayer, he would hear every one of them intimately, fully aware of them. Now, what happens um, when we take that break sometimes in between singing and I come up and I ask you to do what? We'll spend a moment talking to one another. Uh, and I hear all these conversations taking place, but there's no way for me to really discern them. Sometimes I can pick up on certain things here based on the voice. Uh, maybe it carries a little bit, and I know what you're saying. But all these conversations that are taking place in this room, and it's, to me it's sort of a jumbled sound. There's a sense of joy that's with it because I know you're talking about good things and the things of the Lord, right? No one's concerned about basketball games and football scores and who lost the Super Bowl, right? Not at all. I do mean that seriously, actually. Um, I'll just use this as an opportunity as a segue into this statement. If you, in your life, never mention to me before I'm preaching or after I'm preaching who is playing or who won or who lost or what the score was, I would be absolutely fine with that. As a matter of fact, I would prefer it. I'm about to preach the word of God. I could care less who's playing today. I just preached the word of God and someone's struggling to hear this truth. As a matter of fact, some people are pushing the truth away. Some are trying to say, Lord, I want to believe that. Help me to believe it. Why would I be concerned about a sports score? And some assume it because I have this little background in sports and maybe it looks like many years ago I used to be involved in sports. I could care less. I could care less. I'm here to worship the living God. Not to be distracted with the things of the world. You're already distracted enough, are you not? So why do we bring distractions into the place of worship? Not intended, but it seemed appropriate, so now you know me a little bit better. Okay. Um, He says, he hears me. So I love the Lord. Notice this statement. Go back to verse 2. So I love the Lord because he hears my voice, supplications, because he's inclined to me. And this word inclined, that he is um, in a way intimately um, directed towards me. 
And then he says, therefore. So this therefore statement, in, in lieu of this, here's my response to you. I call on you as long as I live. And what he's saying here, I'm making commitment to be a person who will call on your name. Now, what's interesting about this word call, we've looked at its uses in this psalm, but the word can mean simply at times, simply a prayer. We see that, like, say, for instance, in Psalm 17, 31, 55, even, I think, 86, 86 and 7, this sense of calling on the Lord, a prayer to the Lord. But it can also mean proclamation, to proclaim. So I call on his name. I proclaim his great name. And I think in context, right, at least in this, this example here, the psalmist is saying, I am committing to a life of worship of proclaiming your great name. So I'll call on your name as long as I live. I'm committed to be a person of worship. And notice the circumstances that he found himself. The difficulty, notice verse 3. He was inclined to his prayers. And these prayers were in the midst of affliction and hardship. The cords of death encompassed me. The terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. And then it says, then I called upon the Lord. And then in verse 4, maybe his, it's nuanced to say, then I pray to the Lord. What he said earlier about in verse 2, I'm calling upon your name, a life of worship. And here it says, I called on you when I was in the midst of distress and difficulty because who else could answer me? It's interesting. It says here, the terrors of Sheol. And, and well, literally, It's the straits of Sheol. And I begin to wonder, why the straits of Sheol? Why does he say that? Um, I begin to think, going back, I don't know when I first learned it, the straits of Gibraltar. And there are other straits that are around the world, um, but we think about the straits of Gibraltar and what happens at the straits of Gibraltar. Here's Spain, Africa, Europe, Africa, uh, Mediterranean Sea, Atlantic Sea, and as those two come together, as those land masses come together, at some point in time, it's only nine miles apart. That's not very far. And when you go through those straits, it's this idea that although there's this vast Atlantic Ocean, and there's this not as vast, but there is a Mediterranean Sea. It narrows at this point. And what he's saying is that life is narrowing in on me. It seems like I'm being pressed in these directions. And I don't have much space to maneuver, is what he's saying. The straits of Sheol, the straits of the underworld were pressing on me. I was near to death. I was going through difficulty. And he says, but what did I do? I called. I called on the name of the Lord, and you helped me. That was the source of his help. That's the source of our help. Whatever difficulty, heartache you may find, the source is always the same. Our second consideration is this. Love God as you consider the psalmist's praise. Verses 5 through 11. So the basis of the psalmist's love um, and the Lord answering his prayers is the character of God. Well, I 
say it differently, the author's love for God is because he is a God, an awesome God, who is so intimate with him that he hears his every prayer and he answers it, and I'll have to say this, sovereignly. It's important that I say that, that he answer it sovereignly. And of course, in all the weeks that we went through our, our lessons in Providence, you realize that God sovereignly answers our prayers, which means at times the Lord says, wait on our prayers. And at times the Lord says no to our prayers. And at times the Lord will say yes to our prayers. And I think we all agree that the more difficult time is when we're waiting. Does he hear me? Is he going to answer me? Does he con- is he concerned with me? And even at times, we say, does he love me? Does he love you? Does he love you? Does he love you? Does he love you? Look to the cross. He loves me. Look to a suffering savior, savior. He loves you. Look to his hands of providence, how he's moved your life and orchestrated it. He loves you. And even when you're waiting in the midst of it, what has to hold you fast, if you will, is this faith that says, my God is a covenant-keeping God. So he says, I love Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And so if he is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, there may be times when I'm faced with difficulty or heartache, and in the midst of it, I'm in the midst of the straits of Sheol, if you will, and it's narrowing in on me, and the passageway seems to be limited, but he'll guide me through the midst of it. He's not left me alone. See, God's character. He praises God because his undeniable character. You know, we think for a moment, what makes uh, God a lovable person? I mean, <laughs> if we were to begin to develop that thought, wait, what makes God a lovable person? I mean, it would take years to develop that thought. So we're just going to limit ourselves to this immediate context and, and in one sense base our conclusions of what the psalmist communicated in Psalm 116. Notice what he says, verse 5. Why does he love the Lord? This great God, why does he know he hears his prayers? Notice what he says. This is how God acted on my behalf. This spurs my praise because first, God is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And what's interesting about it, if you go back to verse 1, look at verse 1. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. And a supplication is simply, we can't say it is a person crying out for God's grace to be applied in something specific. And it isn't interesting that he says in verse 5, the Lord is gracious. He hears your supplications. It may not seem like it, but he hears it. And we know, um, David, for instance, at times he would cry to the Lord and we looked for a moment at Psalm 18 and when it says, when the Lord delivered him from all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And it's obvious that when David cried out to be delivered from his enemies and from the hand of Saul, the Lord heard his prayer, but he did not answer it when? Immediately, did he? He went through 
trials and tribulations and he was on the run and he was tested and his faith was tested, but yet others would look at him and see a man who was trusting the Lord. And even from David's life, we have to learn that God will allow us to be in situations in life and we can cry to him. He hears us, but as a loving, wise father, he's saying, wait, because I'm building character in you. I'm instilling something in you that cannot come if I so easily respond to that request. And that's the beauty of serving a wise father. And at times, it, you know, we, we pick up on some of these things in our own parenting in the human realm because uh, all of us at some point in time as children, we asked for things from our parents and we felt that we needed to have it right now. And as a good parent, we may say, no. And a good parent, we may say, wait. And sometimes we do give immediate, oh, that's fine. You want to go cut the grass? By all means. (laughs) Do it right away. I'll never say no to that. (laughs) But there's some other things we say to them, no way, not happening in my household. It's not going to happen. And other times, it's wait, you're not ready. You know, thing when it comes to license, they want to drive. And I forget the age that they can start doing it now. Others, it's like, wait, you're not ready. Okay? Dating, wait, you're not ready yet. When you're ready to marry someone, then you're ready. That's our personal philosophy. None of this just dating for the sake of it. No, you're not ready. And I remember asking one of my sons, and he swore he was in love at that point in time. And I love him. I really do. He swore he was in love. I said, love, interesting. (laughs) What is love? (laughs) And he he told me what it was, at least what he thought it was. And um, I said, really? I said, so, like, how are you going to take care of her? And there was this pause. (laughs) I'm still giving you lunch money, right? So (laughs) how are you possibly ready for marriage? Is she moving in? Is that the deal, you know? (laughs) Going to make an extra room and you're not ready for it yet. And we went through that phase and now things are different from him. And I think he may be with someone that he actually may love. And now he can take care of her and provide for her. We'll see how that unfolds. (laughs) Don't we have a wise father? And we can call upon him, but sometimes the answers are different because he understands the circumstances of our lives beyond what we can imagine. Just like he cares for us in ways that are unimaginable, he has a knowledge that is unimaginable. And he knows the best course for our lives. And he will order that best course. And sometimes, listen to this. I've been, I've traveled many parts of the Atlantic and been around the Mediterranean, vast. But sometimes God is saying, you need to go through the Straits of Gibraltar. That's the best best path for your life. And then in his time, and he says, he opens it up, you get through the Straits of Gibraltar, and you see, oh, the Atlantic Ocean and all of its vastness. But sometimes we want to be delivered to the Atlantic too soon. And the Lord says, no, go through the straits first. 
What is interesting, when you go through the straits, and I've been to, there are other places I could name where you have to ne- negotiate, there's a sense in which you have to be particularly careful, don't you? And I think God takes us through situations in life where it forces us to be particularly careful about our walk, about our faith, about our growth, and about what we believe. So he's gracious. Notice what he says. He's righteous. This is consistent with what he says. I love the Lord. I love Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He is faithful in keeping his covenant. He does not lie. He is a God of infinite integrity. Notice what it says here. And so what's interesting, this shift, he has this, obviously two adjectives, gracious and he's righteous. Then he says our God is compassionate. Really here he shifts to this, this participle. He, why does he do that? He's saying, well, God is a God that is continually showing you this sense of compassions. He is constantly demonstrating something that stirs inside of him. It's sort of the meaning of this word that he wants to show pity towards you. So as you live your life constantly before him, he is constantly showing you compassions. That's what he says. Our God is a compassionate God. And for that, we should be thankful. But notice what else about the character of God. Notice verse Six, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. God is a protector as well. So not only is he gracious and righteous and compassionate, but God is a protector. He preserves. And notice what he says. Well, who is he preserving and how does he do it? Notice he says the simple. Now, one, one's mind may go immediately to the Proverbs, and it talks about the naive. And is he referring to the naive here? Because at times in the Proverbs, not always, the naive refers to a person that is most definitely gullible, and at times they can be foolish. But here, uh, he's communicating, there's a sense of helplessness and even perhaps gullibility in experience, but yet still teachable. And that's what's important. And why does he say the simple? Because he refers to himself here as the simple. He says in verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. So he's saying, in that moment, I was the simple even. But yet you were there for me. I had no solutions of my own. And notice what else is important. So he, he helps the simple. But notice, if you will, he says, verse 7. Return to your rest, O my soul. It's also people who can remember God's faithfulness. But there's something significant here. He says, return to your rest, O my soul. And literally, it's return to your rest. It's in a plural. So the question is, why Why does he state it in a plural? Why does he say your rest and not just rest? I think the reason he's doing that is to say it's comprehensive. Wherever one finds themselves uh, and you're trusting in the Lord, that is a place of rest. We can rest in the Lord. Now, stop for a moment. Uh, Question for you. Is it necessary at times to counsel yourself? Yeah, would you say yes? You can say it out loud. It's okay. Yes. You have to speak to your own soul, do you not? And that's biblical as well. Psalm 42, 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul, right? Why are you sorrowful within you? Uh, Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. So you see that refrain, Psalm 42 through Psalm 43 as well. 
Why are you downcast hope in God? Why are you downcast hope in God? Cheer yourself up, gain a perspective. And so what the psalmist is saying here, I'm going to remember my rests. I'm going to remember the times when God was faithful to me. And it's in one sense, I believe as well, from the thought that comes from Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, it says, we should feed on the faithfulness of God. This idea we graze on his faithfulness. And do we not serve a great God? And what we have to do at times is to feed on that faithfulness. And the word is very interesting there, to feed on, to graze. It's this idea, even like a, a cow that would chew the cud, and they chew it, and they chew it, and they chew it. And what we have to do is we have to reflect on our lives and say, God has been constantly faithful to me. I remember when. So when you're going through those straits of life, you can say, God is faithful. He will navigate. I was in a strait before, and he helped me navigate. There was difficulty before, and he helped me navigate. We have to remember. This is why throughout Scripture, constantly there's this theme of remembering. This is why God would say to Israel, remember, remember, remember. So he says, I trust the Lord. But notice verse 10. So we see he, he remembers it. God dealt bountifully with him. He rescued him. He rescued him from tears and from stumbling. He says he's going to walk before the Lord, or perhaps even better translated, that, that I may walk before the Lord is why you delivered me. So there's even purpose behind it. And then he says, verse 10 is very interesting translation here, and we're going to deal with this in a second. He says, I believe when I said, I am greatly afflicted. So we see in verse 10, there's a sense of faith in faithfulness. Faith in faithfulness. And not our own faithfulness, but obviously the faithfulness of God. And there's some translations that I want you to see here. And the NES, which you're reading from, I believe when I said... Um, or the net Bible says, I had faith when I said, uh, ESV, New Revised says, I believe even when I said, or Lupo says, I believe even though I said, um, one translation is, I believe for I said, and, or I, I do believe so I said, I believe therefore I said, and so, okay, what's, uh, why are you giving us all these translations? What does this matter? But what are you trying to communicate? There's sort of a nuance in it. What the psalmist is saying, um, I believed, so I said I was in, affl- in affliction. Or is he saying, in the midst of affliction, I still believe the Lord. I believe that he would get me through. I trusted the Lord in the midst of my affliction. Therefore, I said, I will believe the Lord. He is a trustworthy God. And all of us go through that in life, do we not? There's a sense in the midst of it, we have to say, I believe. So the translations are saying, well, I believe, therefore, I'll say this, or it's saying in the midst of the difficulty, I will believe the Lord. In the end, you might say in some ways it doesn't matter, because both take place. Because we believe, we can say, God, I'm going through affliction. In the midst of affliction, God, I believe you. I trust you. 
True faith will stand the test of time. Go with me to 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse, um, verse 11, we'll start there. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith, According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. Now, guess what? He's quoting from Psalm 116, verse 10. We also believe, therefore we also speak. So what is Paul saying here in the midst of chapter 4? We don't have time to go through it. If you would read through it, Paul is recounting some of the difficulties and trials that he faced because he is a minister of the gospel. And that's why he makes that statement right now that even there's death that surrounds us, but the life of Christ can be manifested. So he quotes from Psalm 116 and says, we I believe, therefore I spoke. He says, I had faith, therefore I could say the Lord is on my side. I have faith, therefore I could trust the Lord in whatever difficulty I find myself. And this is what he communicates even in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He trusts the Lord. Notice verse, go back to Psalm 116. As we try to draw this to a conclusion. Psalm 116, verse 11. So he says, I believe, therefore I trust. And in, in the midst of difficulty, I trust. Verse 11, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. That's an interesting place, man. What, why this all of a sudden? Well, you have to understand, it's almost like a, a transitional statement for us to get into the last part of the song. What is he saying? I believe the Lord Therefore, in the midst of difficulty, I know that God will come through. I will call upon the Lord. And he says, in his alarm, in the midst of difficulty, all men are liars. And what he's essentially communicating, men cannot be trusted. Only God can be. They're not dependable. They're not reliable. Now, does that mean that you can't depend on a loved one or trust a loved one? It doesn't mean it in an absolute sense. But even they have limitations, do they not? Even our loved ones, even if their intentions are absolutely sincere, they are limited in their capabilities. God is not. Think with me for a moment. There may be a person that absolutely would come to your aid, but they just have no resources. They can't answer it. They don't have the solution. If they could give it to you, they would, but they can't. And some, their motives are twisted. And what they want to gain, he says, I can't trust man. I ultimately trust the Lord. And this leads us to our final heading. Love God as you consider the psalmist's promise. As you consider his promise. And I want to hurriedly give you these last thoughts here. What is his promise? Well, ultimately, let me make the overarching statement. His promise is that I will be a worshiper of God in the midst of his people. That's my promise to the Lord. 
Why? He's answered my prayer. Why? Because he's a great God that is worthy of praise. So I must respond to him. So first, how how do we do this? What generates a, a, a heart that makes this promise to the Lord? First, we consider his benefits. Notice verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And that's Psalm 103 too, um, which says we bless his holy name. And it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Don't forget them. Remembering comes up again. So in one sense, what the psalmist is communicating here, God, you have been so gracious to me. You've helped me. What can I return for all your benefits towards me? And in one sense, what he's saying is that what he's going to tell us in the rest of the psalm, that's a part of my repayment. Not that he could ever repay, but he is saying, God, I offer this to you. My praise and my thanksgiving and my adoration and my worship in the midst of the congregation. Consider this as well. Verse 13, consider God's grace. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So this lifting up the cup of salvation was most likely like a drink offering or a libation that was poured um, over the evening and morning sacrifice. And you might consider Exodus 29, 40 and verse 41. So what is he saying? God, this is what I can give you. I can never pay you back, but I offer to you this praise, this offering that I pour out before you, the living God. What else should we consider? Let's consider this. Consider corporate worship. Verse 14, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all the people. And that brings us back to where we started. In the presence of the people. What does he say? His vows to the Lord. God, I vowed that I would serve you and love you and worship you. I'm going to make do on that. Verse 15, consider God's concern. Consider God's concern. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. This is God's concern. The word precious, it, uh, it is something that is dear to the Lord. It is dear to his heart. It's close to his heart. The Net Bible reads this way. The Lord values the death of his faithful followers. And why did they say faithful followers instead of godly ones? Because the word Actually, in the Hebrew is a word that is Hasidic. Uh, we might, you've heard before, Hasidic Jews are the faithful Jews. And, and from that word is a Hebrew word, one of the richest words ever. We've heard it said here before. I know you've heard it um, in other places as well. The word Hesed. And what does Hesed mean? Someone tell me. Say it out loud. What does it mean? Amen. Loving kindness, covenant love, loyalty. I'm totally committed to you. So he's saying he is faithful to It is special to him, the death of his Hasidic people, his loyal people. He's a loyal God that's saying, I'm loyal to you. But here's the reality. Oh, that we would be truly loyal to him. They would be true worshipers. I just want us to skip ahead. The last thing. Consider our opportunity, verses 17 to 19. He says, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. 
I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Israel. Praise the Lord. Notice how the wording starts. The first thing it says, to you. It's directed to the living God. It's where we started. I love the Lord. I offer it to you. A final thought for you. We talked about this Egyptian Hallel Psalms, an example of Christ. We didn't talk about it, but I'll do right now. Here is Jesus Christ realizing he is going to take on the sins of all his elect people. The Last Supper, his betrayer, is there. And it says, as we noted before, Matthew 26 and 30, and they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So he goes to Gethsemane. He's loved by the Father, and he loves the Father enough that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Christ is going to be glorified through his death, through his suffering. The psalmist has cried out, deliver me from my suffering. And he was. And in that moment, Christ cried out, is there any other way? But he knew God's will was to be delivered into the suffering, to be delivered into that strait, if you will, to suffer for us. Jesus Christ set the example. Jesus Christ suffered that we might find rest. The psalmist says, remember your rests. He suffered that he would rest at the right hand of God, that we could enter his rest. Will you be a worshiper of God as the psalmist was, he says, all my life, all my days. And I realize that I have a responsibility to be a worshiper of God in the midst of his people so that I can stimulate others to be worshipers of God as well. Lord, we thank you for the words you give us. Pray that it would encourage us. In Christ's name, amen.